G'day, and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name's Mark, and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start, but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away, or even plan to hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel, The Hunter's Campfire, where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos, along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and good hunting. Good evening, sports fans, and hello, Jono. Good evening, Mark. How are you? Very well, thank you. And yourself, Ian? Oh, pretty well. Nice cold to warm a night. We're back to these things again. I was listening to a podcast a year ago. All I could say was how bloody cold it was. It's still cold up here, Mark. Thanks for asking. Not as cold as you're going to be at Nundal in a week. No, that's I'll be cold. It's three days. And uh, uh, a very special welcome back to the campfire to Craig Golding. How are you, Craig? How are you, gentlemen? Mark, John, Ian, nice to be back. It's nice to be back. And it's great to have you back. back. Uh, For those who don't know, Craig's just returned from Africa. And according to Craig's Facebook post, the best trip ever, the best hunting trip Mm. ever. Correct, sir? Yeah, it's. it was out of this world. It was everything I could have hoped for. And then meeting the people we met over there just made it better. It was just... It was just good, and the hunting was insane. It was okay. Yeah, it's insane. It was awesome. Can't well, wait before to go we jump back. into that because <laughs> before we jump into that because that's what we <laughs> want to talk about. Yeah. Uh, we'll do our usual around the traps. So over to you, uh, Jono. Any news, updates, interesting stuff happening? <clears throat> Not really, Mark. Unfortunately, I'm still coming down from the awesome trip that we had down to New South Wales for the uh, the local slam. That's still fresh in my mind the fact that i uh team jono lost that one um <laughs> team Todd. And still gloating in the victory um <clears throat> but still still fresh in the memory still enjoying that one still thinking how we could have won it we had many opportunities um but no that's still fresh in the mind and now it's just back to the normal grind unfortunately with the end of financial year it's a bit of a, a tricky time of the year so uh, looking forward to the next trip. Hopefully, try and get out once or twice before our next one down to New South Wales in August. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, not much hunting for me at the moment. Just too busy with work. Gets in the mm-hmm. way, unfortunately. Over you, Ian. Sad story. Sad story. Shoot, mate. That's how you win. You shoot. That's how you win. Yeah, I'm reliving. I'm reliving every day the uh, the trip from two weeks ago. It's oh, it's up in the background. The editing board is up there. Uh, you can't see it because I'm in the way, but um, I'm splicing it all together. And you know, it's good to be the winner because you know, and the editor because you can make the story what it, what it needs to be. You can highlight. I'm sure it's going to be very one-sided. <laughs> no, it won't be. It won't be. It'll be. It'll be a fair representation of the weekend. Um, it was a lot of fun, and um, being able to go and have a look weekend. at the uh, the shots. Man, going through that footage. There is so, I will say it again, there are so many pigs. It's like every second video is oh, another 20 pigs squealing out from under the bushes. It was just so many pigs. But, um, yeah, it was. you were having to plan stalks around to get around pigs. pigs to get to other game. Yeah. That's how many pigs there were. It was crazy. Craig, you may not have followed um, it, but we, we had a slam weekend. 
where uh, John paired up with the, with a, a newish hunter, and I paired up with a newish hunter. We went to a private block, and it was the first team to get a goat, a pig, and a deer over the weekend, which is no mean feat, to be fair. Um, it's it's pretty rare you get to go to a property that's got all three of those um, in any sort of numbers. In this place, the deer were a challenge. The other two, you know, we saw reasonable numbers of. But um, having to plan your weekend around what you've already shot, what you've still got to shoot, um, was just it just added a whole different mm-hmm. layer, didn't it, to the weekend? So a lot of fun. <coughs> Great to be back, and um, yeah, looking forward to the next one for sure. Like your own McNabb okay. challenge. And Mike, you must be uh... yeah, yeah, right. similar. Well, yeah, pretty yeah, much. Kind yeah, kind of. That's similar. where the yeah. idea came from. Yeah, yeah. Didn't want to degrade what was it? What was already a name of something, so we called it the yeah. local slam. Yeah, and it, uh, it worked out pretty well. Okay. Yeah, it's good. Um, you must be getting ready yeah, for well, Monday, Mike. My my lovely wife has returned from England, which means I um am you know that I've got a break coming up, and we're heading to Nundal Thursday morning. Uh, and we'll be down there till Tuesday. It looks like it's going to be cold. Well, that's it's obvious. snow there last week? Yeah, two weeks ago they had some snow, um, about only a few mils, but they had snow and hanging rock. Um, the good thing is it doesn't look like it's going to be too wet, which is, you know, probably the, you know, cold's bearable, wet is just miserable. Um, doesn't look like it's going to be too wet. Might have a, a wet day. Um, but other than that, it looks pretty good. So, yeah, there's um, uh, interesting crew. So um, three hunters, um, one non-hunter who's coming down, a good friend, Graham, who's coming down. He just wants to come down and experience it. He's actually, I actually took him to, on a hunt about 10 years ago in Severn, same thing. And, of course, it's, for me, yeah, the winner hunt is a father and son hunt. So my eldest is going to be along with me, so. Mm. So I probably won't see that much game because I'll be leading a non-hunter and my son around. But you know that's part part of the game. So, but we're looking forward to it. They'll be um they'll be waiting around the truck again. Yeah, too, hopefully, right? <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> yeah. So that's hey, that's the big news for me. Speaking of Nundal, um, and just for the listeners that are out there, we would be fielding, I would say, five to six. Mm. Uh, Queries, questions, support, emails uh, a week at the moment where people are like, okay, well, we're heading off to Nundal or Hanging Rock or Tuggalo. We've never been there before. We listen to what you say. We've watched your videos. Can I have a bit more one-on-one time? And, um, yep. you know, we're running these sessions. So we're not charging anyone for them. We're, we're more than happy to help people out. And they're um, they're jumping on and we're you know, showing them the maps, showing them places to go and have a look, um, showing them the type of um, – e-scouting that we do to, to give them the best chance to find some locations to go and hunt. So if you're out there and, you, and you're interested, um, make sure you hit us up. We're more than happy to give you a few extra pointers to what you might have heard or answer any other questions, um, just part of what we enjoy doing. But um, I had a really great uh, message this afternoon. We get these quite frequently, scanning away on my phone, and uh, I was sitting in a meeting at work, and I popped. I couldn't read the message, but I could see, um, you know, in the in the picture there was there was a downed deer. So um, a fellow that I've been helping on his way into the into the property or into Nundal um, managed to to take a young spiker, which was just awesome to see that sort of stuff. So, yep, um, we're here to help. So sing out if you need a hand. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've got my my areas planned or where I want to check out. Um, pretty close to camp, not not hard yakka stuff, but there's a 
different parts of Nundal and Hanging Rock too. So I'm keen to keen to give it a crack. Um, and then of course it's yeah we're back and I'll go up the I'll go up back up to Brisbane Valley after that and then we're down. Is it Glen Innes in August? Is that Glen yep. Innes? Glen that way. Yep, down that direction. That way. That way. Yeah, back down that way yep. in New England. Okay. And you've got your Zolio fired up, Mark. I see. Yes, yes, Zolio. So the so I'll be taking the Zolio unit. Um, we've been talking to Zolio, which is really great, and that conversation continues. But um, we're all we're all wired up now, so we can not only communicate with ourselves in the in the um, via texting, but we can also communicate back home, no matter where we are. So that's that's going to see how that, that one, pay, pay, yeah, how we really can put that to good use over the next next while. Yeah, well, and you can check the weather as well. Yeah, so that's what I'm really interested in. in is the that weather because, the, and this is always a perennial question when people say, "What's the weather like at Nundal?" Um, if you look into it, the weather station that Nundal reads is on the Murrundi Gap, or I think it's also called Newlands or Nolans Gap. Uh, straight line from Ponderosa, that's about a hundred k's. If you go to Walker, um, which uh, straight line is is actually coming from Armadale, uh, yeah, Armadale Airport, is basically another hundred k straight line to the north. So when you look at Nundal weather, you know you've actually got to think. Well, I'm looking at two very different locations to actual Nundal. So it'd be interesting to see what the Zolio does in right there on the location. Yeah, it's been pretty good. In my in my use of it recently, um, I know they changed mm. providers, but it seems to be as as good as mm. ever. The thing mm. that I well, there's two features on it that I'm quite keen to try out. Well, the first one's going to be uh, we've enabled tracking on all of our units. Yeah. So um so we'll be able you know you can breadcrumb track and you can share that. So we'll know if Mark's sleeping in and not getting his son out hunting, and we'll yeah um, that, that, that's not going to happen. We'll update you accordingly. I think <laughs> we're going to send a message to wake you up at however not happen. Uh, not in the happen. morning. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, don't forget I don't to go, leave I don't it. I think I'm hunting asleep. <laughs> we'll see. We'll be tracking. We'll be tracking your case. Um, this new feature on it, uh, and sorry, I didn't want to deep dive into Zolio, but I'm keen to to understand more about it. They've, they've enabled this medical assist feature on it. Yeah. So it's not an SOS feature. You can click it, and um, it, it connects you for no extra charge to what your, your subscription's already got. Um, you can ask medical questions. So... You know, if you've got some sort of ailment, something's going on, and you want to ask someone a question and not medivac out straight away, you can hit that and you can ask questions. And within five to ten minute intervals, you're speaking to a medical person who can ask you questions about what's going on and whether your heart rate's elevated or whether you've got an itch or a scratch or a rash or a. I think that's a bloody awesome feature. It is fantastic. Yeah, Yeah. and it might save. You know, very expensive. That's why right. you can no, see why they're doing it. So they don't yeah. medevac you because you've you know you, you've got a bit of well, you've got. I noticed that. one of the things on it when you click it. I'm playing with it at the moment. One of the things on it is replace medical supplies. And I haven't dived into it, and I'm going to do it. But I took a trip um, with a bunch of blokes up to the Alps in, in New Zealand. The so six of us went over, and we got up on the hill, and one of the blokes forgot his thyroid medication. That's not normally a good thing. Right, just so happened that um, one of the other guys had an oversupply of exactly the same dosage of the same medication. I don't know each other; they'd only met for the first time on the on the hill, basically. So he was okay, but 
I'm really interested to find out what happens when you hit the um, replace my medical supplies button um, and whether they do organise to send something like that. That's a, I mean, that's an amazing... Um, Some guy on an Uber edition. comes up. Got that little backpack on his back. Oh, no, it would be an electric scooter, wouldn't it? be quiet. Yeah. But um, anyway, cool features. We'll... Um, We'll have a play with it and, and, and report back to us like. Yep. Okay. So let's jump straight into it. As we said, Craig's just come back from Africa and we're going to ask you lots and lots of questions about that. So Craig, tell us about your recent trip to Africa. Over to you, uh, sir. It, it started sort of, um, sort of quite casually, actually. I was, I was having a conversation with um, Craig Merton online, on so, uh, probably through um, Messenger, actually. And we, we were actually talking about Blood Origins and all the work Blood Origins was doing to promote Africa and then just generally conservation hunting in general. And at that time, Craig was involved a little bit with Blood Origins Australia. And we got to talking and it turns out Craig, and he's been around the Australian hunting industry for a long, long time, uh, a little bit longer than me, he's a little bit older than me, but, you know, we've known of each other for, for a lot of years, um, as is often the case in our game, as you know, you know. Anyway, the, the conversation got talking about Africa and hunting in Africa, which he'd been to Africa several times or a couple of times. And it turns out Craig's the Australian agent for Cruiser Safaris. Okay. So Craig is Cruiser Safaris Australia. He, he's their booking agent over here. And we just got talking and we started sort of throwing favourite animals around and this, that, and the other thing. And I just asked him off the cuff, I said, what would a package cost to do this, 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 and this? And within sort of 48 hours, I had um, just, a, just a, a casual quote for a number of African species in Australian dollars. And, and the next conversation was, hey, hun, do you want to go to Africa? You know, I turned around and my wife said, yeah, we've got to do this, you know. Um, and that's how it all started. And from that point, we just started planning. And, you know, uh, Africa was always on the agenda, you know, but it was always going to be, when we retire, we'll go to Africa because, you know, you would have read accounts where people, you know, say you can hunt Africa in a wheelchair. Well, you probably can. But then after I started talking to Craig, I thought to myself, well, why the hell would you wait? You know, we're relatively mm. young, we're healthy. Let's go and do it now. You know, so um, we booked pretty much, we paid a deposit pretty much straight away and then we had, um, you know, I think about 10 months to wait. And in that time, as, as the... The day got closer. We had a death in the family. That was like three weeks before we were due to fly out. And then literally four days before we were due to fly out, my wife had emergency gallbladder surgery. I know. So we had to put the trip back. I saw it got postponed, yeah. 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 Six weeks and, and it was just, wow, what if, you know, this had to happen in Limpopo or on a plane going across the Indian Ocean, Mm. you know, just sort of, well, the Great Southern Ocean, but. So, look, in the end, um, Cruiser Safaris were absolutely brilliant. They held the deposit. Um, they rebooked us, and we booked immediately just outside the six-week clearance period that my wife was going to have for the doctor. So we just proved she was going to be okay and booked immediately. Um, we did all our bookings through Flight Centre down here local. Uh, they were brilliant. They rescheduled all our um, all our external um, trips we had planned. We went and dived with the sharks for a little while in Cape Town. They rebooked all that for us. It was brilliant. So we ended up, we flew out oh, um, about the 29th of May. I think we actually headed off. And 
you know, it's been a long, long time since we did any international travel, especially those distances. So a little bit dubious, but you know, once we got there and met the people, and from the minute we got picked up by a professional hunter in Johannesburg, it was just brilliant. The service was brilliant. They never stopped looking after us. And then um, once we got to the lodge, it was just what you'd expect, a, a thatch lodge, um, big room, all your traffic heads had the bar, the, the, the eating place, the meeting place, um, great lodgings, very comfortable. Um Pool and spa, would you believe it? Now, it is South Africa, so 95% of the hunting is in game reserves. That's just the way South Africa's set up. And, you know, that all sort of happened around sort of 1975. The, uh, you know, local farmers thought you knew there was more money in breeding game animals and re-establishing game populations in South Africa. So all your cattle went out the window. And it's a very, very big industry. Mm. The guys that we hunted with, they were actually involved heavily with um, Crown Game Breeders, and one of their they actually produced the record, the world record sable, um, and it died not long before our trip over there. It ingested some barbed wire, and it died. It was sixty mm-hmm. inches, sixty inches, but the progeny of that is sold to other game breeders all through South Africa. So when when you say that your hunters are actually contributing to the conservation of a species, well, they actually are. And it was, it was great to see that firsthand and the money going back into, into, into the native animals. Um, we spent a little bit of time fixing um, our watering points. They've set up artificial watering points from boars so that during the, the, the dry months, which we're going into now, that these animals have a constant supply of water. And the other thing too, we went across, we had a day trip over to, Marabelle National Park, and it's all under wire. Uh, 10, 12 foot fences, electrified to keep all your rhinos, your lions, and your, your elephants inside. And, you know, they get money from hunting organisations as well to maintain that because they just don't get enough money from tourism, you know. Plus, the footprint of tourism is, is a greater footprint than what hunters actually create, you know. So, you know, that was all very interesting to see and understand firsthand. And then, mm-hmm. but, you know, that first morning hunting, um, it was surreal. We're sitting in the back of a dual cab land cruiser on the safari seat and there's a blue wildebeest popping down the road. I mean, you know, you're used to seeing wild goats and wild pigs. Well, if you're lucky, a fallow deer, here's a bloody wildebeest, you know. Um, <clears throat> the impala were running at the time, so... If you could think about the, the fallow deer rut on steroids, okay, the impala, they were going off everywhere. You were never out of earshot of impala rutting, you know. Uh, that was pretty amazing. Um, I asked a few of the boys in camp, you know, what their favourite animal to hunt was, and they all said kudu. And yeah. it seemed to me that you are always hunting kudu over there, you know. Uh, drive around looking for a, a wildebeest or a warthog. Oh, there's a kudu. And the time they take just looking at the kudu, you know, always cows you see first. Where's the bulls? Where are the bulls? And you always see the bull further back in the thorn bush. He's looking down his nose at you. Yeah, he sits in the back. His horns are laid back, so he doesn't want you to see his horns. And, and it, didn't even, it didn't matter that you yeah. weren't going to shoot a kudu. You were always hunting kudu. And yeah. it's only that mm-hmm. when we started actually physically hunting them, getting out in late one afternoon. We'd been working a number of um, 
herds of kudu cows, and there wasn't a bull to be seen. You know, it was probably 3 o'clock, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and there was no bulls around, but there was cows everywhere. So we just walk around, get in the wind, and, and work these cows looking for bulls. And it was just as the, the last afternoon shadows, the bulls just appeared. I guess a little bit like Samba. It's that last yeah. hour, that last half an hour of, of light, and the Samba become more active. Well, it was the same with these kudu bulls. Um, and just like that, we've seen four bulls about 600 metres away walking across a clay pan. They were walking to the herd, of, the mob of cows that we'd just been looking after, you know. So we we did a big circus route back to try and get in front of those. And over the course of the rest of the afternoon, over two hours, I guess, we put in three failed stalks on kudu and just didn't even get close to getting a crack at the bull. And what, what we noticed was that, or what I noticed was that when they were walking away from you, they would never look at you directly, but their ears, their big satellite dished ears, were always pointing at you. They were always in your direction. They'd walk away with that ear focused on you. They knew you were there, and they just kept going, you know. Um, and it wasn't until right on dark, and we'd, we'd bumped a mob of cows, and, and they were, they were oh, a good distance, maybe 150, 160 metres, walking through the thorns. And there's a good bull following them. And my PH, um, I had an African native African tracker and PH, um, he said, can you see the cows? And you can see the cows. She's going to come through a clearing in the thorns. I mean, I couldn't see a bloody cow. I couldn't see a kudu. But Shrey had the, the, the rifle up on the sticks and, yeah, picked up the cow eventually. And he said, the bull's following her. And I thought, oh, righto. So I got the cow in the scope. Yep, beautiful. I'm ready to go. And literally the bull has come out of the thorns and crossed his clearing. He's filled the scope up. And I pulled the trigger, right? And I thought to myself, shit, shit, I shouldn't have pulled the trigger, you know? Mm. I didn't hear a thump. It was 160 metres. The tracker, he grabbed the sticks. He said, come on, come on. And he's a little bit agitated. I don't know. Agitated is probably a good word, not excited. I was sick in the guts. No, I shouldn't have done that. But he found, immediately he found where the the herd had crossed a, a, a sandy road. And we found that bull piled up inside 50 metres on the other side of this road. And mm. it was probably – I'd already shot a, a zebra earlier in the day, but it was sitting there, sunset in Africa. They've gone off – it's, it's getting dark. Like it's dark. I've got the headlamp on. The boys have gone off. They're looking for the truck, right? They're bush bashing back to me. And I'm sitting in the African bell with my hand on a freaking kudu. You know, I'm thinking to myself, it's not real. It's not real. And mm. yeah, African sun, like we get some great sunsets here, as you do in Queensland, Western Queensland. The African sunsets are just superb. There's no twilight. It's daylight sunset. And they are blood red. Mm. So here I am, I'm sitting there. I'm looking west, the sun's setting. Like this beautiful kudu, horns just glowing. And I'm sitting there for the bush and sunset. I just, I just couldn't believe it, and that's when it sort of hit home. Just how lucky we were, you know. Um, hmm. And that was probably, yeah, that's probably the highlight from from the hunting perspective. Like it was, it was all great, like, but the highlight was the kudu. And I understand now why they're always hunting kudu. They are just an insane animal that just sneaks through the thorn bush almost undetected, you know. Um, early that morning, we were, again, we were hunting kudu, but we, 
we put in a couple of stalks on zebra and um, we kept bumping these things in the thorn and they snorted and, and, thund- and they thundered off. You know, I heard a ponies running through the bush. It was just, just full on. But we were coming back on this, this mob of cow, cow kudu and, you know, I was getting hung up on thorns. Everything there's got thorns, little thorns, big thorns. And at one stage I was hung up in three places, you know, the ear, the nose, the arm, the hat. And we finally got clear, a little bit of opening, and we picked up movement. And sure enough, it was a herd, herd of zebra. They were crossing our path, you know. And it was a, a young full-grown stallion bumped us first. He snorted and took off. But it wasn't enough to alert the whole herd. So they just kept coming. And the next to come through was a, was a really big mare. And um, I was already up on the sticks. And I shot her. And again, um, the, the herd of zebra just thundered off. They just... My wife was sitting in the safari seat in the car, probably 300 metres away. She heard the noise of the zebra stampeding. I'm writing an article at the moment, but I was only sitting there thinking today when I'm writing, I'm thinking, I'm lucky they ran away the other direction. You know what I mean? Like, it was just a full-on stampede of horses, you know? Mm. Um, we found that. Uh, we found the zebra piled up, yeah, probably inside yeah, 50 or 60 metres, but... Uh, yeah, that was the first African animal, and yeah, being a mare, she was unmarked, hadn't been fighting. It was just a beautiful, beautiful specimen of an animal, you know. Uh, I was using a a brand-new out-of-the-box Morser 18 in 3006, um, using 180-grain cellar and bellet ammunition. And over the course of that week, I had eight one-shot kills with that rifle and that ammunition, and it's absolutely wow. insane. If you get a chance to shoot one of those rifles, they're, they're very inexpensive in comparison to what else on the market. But they are superb. They are a really, really nice rifle to shoot and, and accurate too. Um, so that was sort of day one, and it was just um, started with a bang and ended with a bang. It was superb. And over the course of the week, um, I shot um, Impala in Blesbok. I shot Warthog. I shot a couple of Warthog. I shot uh, Blue Wildebeest. And I shot a Steenbok, a little diminutive little antelope. And uh, interestingly, the, the the animal that proved the dogs um, <laughs> the most difficult to contain was the the warthog. You know, and we just sat over uh, water holes waiting for these things. And uh, it took me a day and a half to get this warthog. And sure, there's warthog coming into the water holes every hour but they were either too young or or female or this. And one thing you notice with warthogs is every warthog's big when it comes into the warthog because you see their tusk and then you think the tusk's going forever. <laughs> but what they've got is they've got a row of silver hair along the side of their jaw. So the warthog, the, 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 the tusks, then when you see the hair, you see a continuation of the tusk. So I would have pulled the trigger on oh. 30 warthogs before a good one come through, you know. Um, as it turned out, I missed a warthog at around 200 on a track. He was crossing the track and it was a, a rush shot. But it, we actually got that warthog that very afternoon on a warthog. And he'd come in and, again, it was in, it was interesting watching the dynamics of the animals where uh, two young warthog boars came in and they were clearly nervous. They come in, they drank, it was about 30 metres, I guess. They wallowed, but they got up out of the wallow with a bit of a start, very nervous, jitty, jumping around, tail up walk towards the bush and then come back. And then sure enough, a big warthog boar, the one I'd missed earlier, according to the PH, come out and chased him off. 
and it was just yeah just watching Africa at play you know um, we hunted pretty hard for a good uh, wildebeest blue wildebeest um, but again yeah lots of stalks but yeah the BHs they're so they're so skilled in what they do they're able to pick up the shortcomings of a wildebeest at like 200 metres and you're still trying to find the wildebeest in your binoculars you know broken horn or a horn that hadn't dropped or a horn that had a broken tip, you know, and all of these were at distance. And when we when we finally got our wildebeest, we'd finished lunch and it was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon and we were probably into our second full day of hunting wildebeest and we just left the truck and decided to go for a walk down another track, it's just a desert-type track, and we bumped that wildebeest at 22 metres. So I pasted it out after we, after we dropped in. Um, got up from under the bush running and just like Samba, I held on his nose and the bullet hit him in the centre of the neck, broke his neck. And I pasted out from where I shot, it was 22 metres. And he got up and he, he just got up with a younger bull and he got up and he was running. You know, they're just so, they don't going to stand around to see what disturbed them. They're just so geared, they just go, they're gone. Um, that, um, that warthog, I don't know anything about the calibre of an animal. There's a photo that you put up on, on socials. That thing is an absolute stonker of an animal. And you say that, that you say that the uh, the tusk follows that silver hairline. Well the silver hairline the photo that I'm looking at. Yeah. Those those tusks are in the sky, man. There's no way they're following yeah. the uh, hairline any further. They're, that's massive. It's the mature, it's, it's the immature warthog boars where you you you, you misinterpret the size of the tusks because they they come out and they're closer to the jawline, so the silver hair along their face looks like a continuation of the of the of the tusks. And what the PH was looking for was exactly what you were saying. Ian. He was looking for a set of tusks mm. that come out and up, so clearing the face of the warthog. Uh, interestingly, talking to warthogs. The warts on their face are actually very good to eat. Okay. Oh, wow. so, okay. Yeah, it's just um uh, what else? Um and right throughout okay. this All right, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull you up there. So with yeah. there's about a million questions. Yeah, yeah, we've <laughs> so got let's, a few. So let let so let's go right back to the big the beginning. So for those who don't know where we're what like you're talking about you you're hunting in South Africa specifically. Okay. Northwestern South so Africa. Where, yeah, we were. That's right. So you were hunting, uh, and so what do you mean by a game reserve? So what's a game reserve? So all, um, so ninety-five percent of South Africa is made up of um, game reserves. So they're they're fenced, they're fenced reserves, and they range fenced, from properties. several thousand acres to hundreds of thousands of acres. Okay. Um, so it's old. Basically, it's a private block yeah, of varying size, yeah. and they're fenced. So yep. how big was the one you were hunting on? In total, about 36,000 acres, okay? If I could draw okay. a comparison to hmm. – it was similar to hunting pigs and goats in western New South Wales where you drive the farm tracks during the day, spot and stalk. But it was Africa, and, yep. but it's on, on steroids, okay? Now, people okay. get the impression that the animals can't come and go. I don't know what the fences are probably seven feet, I guess. They're multi strand, single strand, multi strand. Uh, the warthog, Steinbuck, Diker, 
and some in parlour, they're coming and going at will because just like our Western fences, they the warthogs at the first sign of moisture on a fence, they dig holes, okay? The other interesting fact was the property was full of leopards and cheetahs, okay? Because they're just coming in and out of the oh, fence okay. at will. Yeah. So on the second morning, yep. we found a leopard kill, uh, an impala, and they don't like the leopards there, obviously, because it kills, kills a lot of animals. Um, but they accept it. And on the second, on the next morning, we went back and checked. It had been back that night. Um, and in the course of the next couple of days, we were jumping water holes for uh, wildebeest, and there was leopard and cheetah prints around most of the water holes. So there was there was cheetah there actively hunting. So that sort of yeah, that sort of was quite surreal when you think that. Well, hang on, you could bump something in a thorn bush or something that could actually eat you. Uh, you weren't expecting that. You That's know? right. Um, the other thing, too, that um, you, you might think that giraffes are, are contained by these fences. Well, they're not. The problem with the giraffes, for instance, is they'll go running mm, down the track. Straight through them. And they lose balance. And wherever the head goes, the body goes. And we found, so they'll just topple over a fence. Okay. And we found mm. numerous examples of a fence where it had been sort of buckled at the top where a bloody giraffe had gone over. Um, and. Yeah. The fence itself is just Rio poles, right, stuck at intervals, and then the, the, the white strands. So, you know, mm. in that regard, it's not – yeah, it's true hunting in that sense. You know what I mean? Um, so you know, that, basically it's, it's like hunting a pr- fence private well. block. It's yeah, like it's hunting a private block, block out Western Queensland or – The of animals around the block, yeah. yeah. That's right. Okay. Well, we were so only, we, how we were long was 60, the flight? Uh, 14 hours over, 11 and a half hours back. That's nothing, mate. Yeah, Pre- prevailing yeah, winds, apparently. Well, complaining about that. <laughs> complaining about that. Drive oh, yeah, I, mean, uh, I, haven't, I haven't flown to England for a long time, mate. And the last international so, flight I had uh, that was China. Yeah. You know? So, mm. so um, you went through a agency here in Australia? Yep. Uh, it was Cruiser Safaris. Cruiser so Safaris why did Australia. you go through Flight Centre? So why did you go through Flight Centre? That was an interesting one. Just, was that just convenience we, for you? We had um, we had a couple of days in Johannesburg beforehand, so we did a few trips and tours around there. And we had, uh, okay. we had seven days in Cape Town afterwards. So we went through Flight Centre, booking um, just flights and all that sort of stuff, you know. And it paid, and, and, it paid and, well and, for and us because we had the issues with health. We were able to get everything sorted out. We lost no money at all, which was great. Um, okay. But the only hiccup we had was coming back and we had a – our return Qantas flight was cancelled and we had to rebook for 24 hours. So we had to have a night in Johannesburg and that sort of slowed things down a bit, but, you know, it was good. Sure. One of the one of the real interesting animals we've seen over there, I seen, and it was right – I've seen it right through the safari, was a little diminutive steenbok. And they got horns about little pencil shaped horns about this long, you know, six, five, six inches long. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up taking one of those. They are just a, a beautiful little animal, um, about the size of a Jack Russell, I guess. Um, oh wow! Yeah, beautiful little animal. Um, yeah, they're very small. Yeah. Part of the tiny team. Yeah, very, tiny very tiny team. thing, and seen them everywhere, everywhere. Hmm. So when you land, you're met there by whoever. Yep. So you so, met by the people from the from the from the property, and they basically yep. take you out to the property. So really, you're 
other than if you've got other things booked, you're actually going to go from basically airport to property. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, that's right. So generally, because of the way the flights arrive, you generally have a night in Johannesburg and you're picked up you know, about 9 o'clock in the morning. Oh, okay. The property is mm. around three and a half hours south of Johann- uh, south of oh, okay. north of Johannesburg. So it's, it's a, about a four-hour drive. and yeah. They don't get into Johannesburg all that often, so there's a few odd jobs to do while they're in town, but they do it on the way out. Um, and you're about 50 kilometres from the Botswana border, okay? So it's a very game-rich area anyway. Um, and so the first afternoon you get to camp, uh, you're met by your PH. Um, the first step is down to the rifle range. You meet the staff and the first drops down to the rifle range to sight the rifle in, make sure it's spot on. And the next morning <laughs> to, you're hunting. To unpack it out of the box by the sounds of it. Yep. It was it was brand new virgin gun, you know. Um, yeah. And you took awesome, that one with you? Hey? Sorry? So you took that rifle with you? No, I didn't. Um, because we were having a tour, doing that holiday thing either side, um, I used a firearm that was supplied by them. Um, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, it just yeah. made it a lot easier travelling. You know what, mm-hmm. Mark? I don't think I'd take a rifle over there. It was that, it was just that easy, you know. And just the added mm. hassle of looking after a rifle, I wouldn't worry about it, you know. Mm. And it's all good yeah, gear. It's, I've it's, never taken a rifle overseas, yeah. you know. So just one less thing you have to worry about, you know. Um, should have taken a fly rod. There's a couple of pools in the river that were full of catfish, ten kilo catfish. So. I'll be packing a fly rod next time. Um, <laughs> some of the other animals, golden wildebeest, uh, red heart beast, um, Enyala, just beautiful, beautiful animals. So, you know, there's something you can't do in one trip. You know, you've got to go back, you know. But, um, so I'm when you say planes games, when you say planes games, what, what's what, what's what's the planes animals? What does that well, include? What does that just, generally incorporate? I guess what you call your, your general species antelope. You know, non-dangerous game would, would be the best description of it. Um, so we hunted mm-hmm. kudu, wildebeest, impala, blesbok, warthog, and steenbok. Don't think I missed anything there. Um, but also available there. We we hunted one particular block where several hundred Cape buffalo live, and we never seen the Cape buffalo. You know, we see where they've been, mm-hmm. never seen them. And I was looking for Cape Buffalo. I just want to see Cape right. Buffalo in the wild. Yeah. Um, so, I guess from my perspective, the, the, the species you were hunting are called plains games. Doesn't mean they live on a plains. Just to reiterate that, um, most of those species are more bushveld species. But um, in Africa, they term them plains game as opposed to dangerous game. Mm-hmm. That's what differentiate. Yeah, they, they differentiate. The plains game, they could be. They go from your steenbok up until your giant eland. That's, mm. that's the diversity, the size of a plane's yeah. game. And, yeah. and then they, you know, it's to differentiate them from the dangerous game. Yeah, yeah different from the dangerous game. But then, you know, mm. the other thing yeah. too, that, and, I, and I was really conscious of this, that so the truck's coasting down a sandy desert-type road. <clears throat> Every animal we seen from the truck was moving. It was going. It didn't want anything to do with the truck. They were wild in the true mm. sense of the word, you know. Um, and... The largest species like eland, for instance, common eland, you'd see them at a distance and they were running. Just clouds of dust. Just They heard a cart, they were going. 
Uh, Gemsbach were the same. Um, Blesbach never seemed to stop running, you know. You're out of the car and you're heading in the last direction, you've seen them. Um, but then, in complete contrast, the Sable just weren't fussed by vehicles. Yeah, you'd find them laying down a sandy patch on the road and basically have to kick them up to move them. You know, they just weren't fussed by, by a vehicle. Um, we never stalked any Sable, but they tell me that once, you know, a different situation when you're on foot and hunting them, they're quite... They move around quite a bit, but yeah, it was just it was just funny to watch, you know, the the different way that game reacted to the vehicles, you know. So um, I'm going to get back to some of the the nitty gritty. So you're staying at the lodge. I'm assuming that then that that is part of the cost. Everything's catered for, yeah, so yeah. breakfast, lunch, dinner, and all that kind of stuff. Um, what about uh, you know? And I saw from one of you, you went down to one of the, the the meat processing areas. So that's that's is that cost built in as well the, for your animals to get processed? Yeah, every every cost once you've paid your deposit, everything is so all your hunting, food, accommodation, alcoholic beverages, skinning, traffic preparation, transport to and from your your motel or your hotel is all included. Um, okay. We had a couple of days where we didn't hunt. Um, we went and had a look at one of the um, the larger national parks and that was all included in our cost. And then it, the, the only thing that you can't mm. determine is that you, know, you, you, you book a particular package. In my case, I think I booked for four animals. I ended up shooting eight. So at the end, the <laughs> night before you, you – I know, I know. I got for the next twelve months paying for it, but no, but the night before you drew to leave, you just settle up, you know. Um, no, no, they call that on selling, on selling, on selling. Oh, mate, yeah. you can imagine it. Eh? Is it on? Is it on selling? Is that you what shoot, that you shoot? You oh, shoot. Yeah. It's not on my package. No, don't no, fuck no. It. <laughs> they don't have to on sell with me. It's the second time that's happened to me, you know. So, um, <laughs> but you know, you just you prepare for it. Um, the only other, the only thing yeah. that you need to consider hunting Africa, so. We're getting all taxidermy done over there. Um, mm-hmm. My theory oh, okay. is Africans work mm-hmm. on African game. So we're getting high world taxidermy in Johannesburg to do our stuff. Uh, it works That's out the best. Yeah. slightly cheaper. In Australian dollars, it works out slightly cheaper than um, Australian taxidermy. And you'll be paying a bit more to get it shipped back here. But keep in mind, you're going to be mm-hmm. paying some sort of freight component anyway. Um, yeah, I don't know what the freight component is just yet, but you know, it, but you just got to be prepared for it, you know, and allow for it. You can get some ideas about it, but, um, yeah. But everything else was just, okay. and, you know, cruise as far as Australia, they just, they made sure everything was sorted out. They just very, very good. Nothing was too much trouble for them. So was that, was, uh, was that where you were? Could you hunt dangerous game there as well, or was that... Or yeah, that, so would you go to somewhere else to do that? Cruiser Safaris also has um, a number of other con- what they call concessions. So he's got concessions um, yep. down in the Orange Free State, and you can go down there and you can hunt black wildebeest and um, all the springbok species. You know, white, common, black springbok, a copper springbok, um, and that's proper plains game. Cruiser has. Um, they do run Cape Buffalo there, and some quite good Cape Buffalo too. But as I said, you know, we look for them. I couldn't find them, you know. 
could see where they were. Um, and they have access to other guides where they can do dangerous game or can arrange dangerous game. All right. Okay. So, but you, you would, you would, so what you're saying is you kind of say, okay, before you go, this is the kind of game I want. And they go, all right, we'll steer you in this direction. Type yeah, thing. You, okay, you yeah, can sure. go over there with it. Look, some of the Americans go over there and they just, well, they do an, an open safari. They'll just, you'll know, be driving around, I'll just, I like that. Like, oh, let's go hunt that or let's go hunt this. I had Dangerous. a fair idea what I wanted, mm. but then again, it's I mean, a, once you're there, window you, shopping. Mm. You know, if I had a, it, a chance, I could have bought home Red Heart Boost as well. I just love the look of those things, but we'll leave that till next time, you know. Then Golden Wilderboost, they're on mm. next year's list, you know. Um, it's mm. just it's that sort of place. You've got to be, yeah, and a lot of the species can be opportunistic as well mm. so if, you, if you're driving along and you see a massive kudu and yeah. the kudu's not on your list you're going to go for it same <laughs> with in yala you know what you know, you've got to be prepared for those opportunistic yeah. the thing species. too is you know aussies like shooting they like shooting pigs and if you're if you've gone over there and you've shot your your target species your, your antelope your, your kudu your gemsbok your yala and you think you know what i'd really like to go and just shoot some warthog or shoot some impala you can you can because these animals still need to be controlled, you know. Um, excess of impala, you can shoot impala for skin if you want, you know. You just work out, a, a, you know, I want to shoot four impala. You know, I want to shoot four warthog. You know, just, just work it out while you're over there. They're not expensive animals to hunt that add on to a, and onto, a, um, and onto your shoot, you know. Um, and, you know, cull hunts, they they're talking about doing cull hunts at the moment on um, Cape Buffalo cows because they're, they're just breeding. And because mm. the Americans haven't come over for the last few years because of COVID, there's an excess of animals. Uh, the same thing's actually happened in Botswana with, with uh, elephants. There's an excess of elephants in Botswana. Um, I don't know whether you've read about that. They're trying to rehome and do everything with them yep. because the Americans weren't traveling. Mm. They weren't shooting elephants. And, and this is the thing that, you know, you yeah, you would have um, heard about the the importation ban for trophies going into the UK. You know, these are the things yep. that all these bleeding hearts and do-gooders don't get, you know. The, the expansion of man has stopped, in the, in the case of elephants, has stopped the elephant's normal migration route, okay? So when they, they're now conflicted with man more and more, Okay. Man has created this problem. Man has got to fix this problem. They've got to manage this problem. And, you know, elephants now in Botswana, Mozambique and, and Zimbabwe are in very, very healthy populations, but they've got to be controlled. Um, and it's hunters that are doing that control, you know. It's just hunters that are giving value to these animals that allows them to survive, you know. Um, you know, I was just reading an article yesterday. Magazines like The Times and The Economist Every now and then I'll do an article, a feel-good article on the African elephant, okay, and how in some countries their popula population is improving, it's this, that, and the other thing. They never, ever say it's because of hunter dollars because these animals are their population yeah. improving. And then you look at the likes of Kenya, where sport hunting has been banned for, I think, two decades, or a quarter of a century. Their populations of animals are decimated, you know, so it's very interesting. It was, it was very interesting just seeing it firsthand at play. You know. 
Um, I think uh, you know it's been said before, but you know we we consider a pig dangerous to crops. I'm mm. sure if you got crops and a couple of elephants come wandering in, you know, it's, that's that's it. They're gone in one night. Those things, you know. And, yeah, and yeah. If you're going to, yeah. you know, they say deer, they say deer nibble, mm. you know, um, pines. I reckon an elephant do more than nibble a pine. Uh, so yeah, it, it's it's perspective, isn't it? What, what, it's, what's it's a herd of elephants, and elephants could kill you. That's right. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's that's the problem. Um, yeah. It's perspective. For those subsistence farmers, that's there's nothing left. That's exactly right. There was a problems. um, there was a meat eater episode not not long ago. Um, can't remember how many weeks back it was. I don't keep up with them all, but it was probably the first one of these episodes that I'd listened to that uh, they were talking to a couple of guides out of Africa somewhere. Yeah. Uh, I think mm-hmm. they were talking about it because one of them got got his ass handed to him by a buffalo when he was guiding a young girl. That's right. But they go on to talk about the um, the way the hunter's money helps the environment and not just helps those animals, but they talked about how um, through... What, for whatever reason, some of these concessions got handed back because they were fringe concessions or something like that. And because there was no hunting there and because there was no money coming into that, they were handed back and you think, oh, yeah, cool. So no one's going there now to rejuvenate its own way. But that's not what happens. Then local communities walk in there and they and they chop all the trees down and they, right. they take a lot of the animals off the land for meat. You know, they just they're opportunistic. And all of a sudden, what was you know, a beautiful piece of, of country turns itself back into desert because they just land clear that's exactly right. You know, and for that, that is real. stuff like that. I, I um, encourage, I just found it, episode episode 446 from Meat Eater. Go and listen to it. If you're interested in how the hunting dollar works, it's a very, very well articulated episode. episode. Mm. Yeah. Similar to what you're yeah, saying. That, that's the funny thing, isn't it? Yeah, sorry, mate. That's a funny thing, you know, we – so often they talk about you know what what we know that if you leave land if 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 you leave a farm we know that it doesn't return to like some kind of utopian forest. Yeah, what happens is pristine. the invasive species turn up first because that's what invasive species. So if you know we weeds weeds and ferals will turn up and and all you'll end up with is a you know a scrubby mess of blackberry and or lantana or whatever you wherever you are pyrethrum weeds, whatever it is, and, you know, every kind of feral species around. You you can't just, yeah, this idea that, you know, this kind of, or well, if man wasn't there, it kind of returned to this utopian things where, you know, the the lions and the, the, the you know, the antelope would be dancing around together in a harmonious, you know, it just, just doesn't happen. If you don't, if we don't look after it, if we don't put in mechanisms to look after it, it's just basically scrubbing, as you said, Ian, and then either a fire rips through or people who uh, need it for subsistence lifestyles go in through and take what they want because they want to live. You know? yeah. exactly. How That's real was that uh, where you went, Craig? Did you see a lot of that? Did you have many of those conversations? Yeah, so the big thing is you would have – it's fairly common knowledge that um, they've still got the same native title claims over there that we're – we experience here, although it's a damn sight more violent over there. So when you've heard of farm takeovers mm. here, it is real. It is real. Open carry on the farms where we were is real, okay? Um, and one of the farms 
was pointed out to us and had exactly that. It was taken over by Indigenous folk. They cut down all the trees, uh, put cows in there, and the, the, we actually boarded one of the blocks we hunted and it was just going to rack and ruin, you know. Uh, so you see it, it's real. Um, but, you know, it, it, you're talking a country where, you know, 89% of the population is black. I think you've got 4% is white and you've got uh, mixed race as the rest. And it's a very, very corrupt country, you know. Um, and, and, you, and you can see the difference between who's looking after the land and who's not looking after the land. It, it is very, very stark, mm. you know. Um, and it's sad because um, you, you wonder what the future is, really, you know. So just time's going to tell, isn't it? But, yeah, you, you do see it, yeah. Well, certainly we've seen it, yeah. The other thing we found too quite um, mm. quite humbling is we did a tour of Soweto in Johannesburg, um, just the, the, the townships and the illegal townships. And, yeah, man, it, it's it's humbling. It's it's poverty on another scale, you know. Um, they're quite sad, especially when you see little kids, uh, open gutters, uh, earth gutters, barefoot in the rain, cold. It, it's it's quite uh, that's the that's the bad side of it, you know. All the rest is great, you know, but um, that's real as well. That's that's part of South Africa, you know. All right. One of the things you, you see, uh, you know, occasionally you hear about is that idea that a lot of the game meat goes where that you know from taken animals goes yeah. to local communities. You, do you see much of that? Um. We did to a lesser extent here. Um, what we found that the the guys, one of the things is um, sitting around the, the the fire at night. You're just talking about all sorts of things like that. The game meat that's harvested here, a lot of it's kept there for human consumption. So over the course of the the week, week yep. nine days, we were there. Gemsbach, wildebeest, warthog, we ate it all. Um, wildebeest, fresh wildebeest, eye fillets were some of the best meal we've ever had and that was on the wildebeest i shot that afternoon mm. insane um oh, really yeah oh, wow. it, was, it, was, it was that fresh it was insane um so human consumption is there a little bit different in that part of south africa because you don't have the the native villages it's more more developed so you have proper towns okay so this property was um smack bang between uh Thabazimba and lepalele they're they're well-established towns but what? So the meat oh, okay. will go to a um, a processor, and it's it's then passed on at lower costs to communities. Okay, but what what cruise safaris return to the provinces? They've got. They've, I think my, my wife had this conversation with them. They've got set up five non for not for profit organisations that actually put money back into the local community. Okay. So it might not be in the form of the game meat like you would see in um, the Caprivi Strip or Zambia or somewhere like that or the Okavango Delta. They're, they're putting back into the communities in other ways, okay? And that's all money generated mm -hmm. by hunters. All right. And, that, and the, I think, that, I think the, mm. she was saying that there's five not-for-profit charities they've set up as a result of that, yeah. So in, mm. in one way, yes, the meat's going back. It's well, getting utilised. The work in the lodges and the, but there's, they put back in other ways as well. Yep. 
Yeah. Mm. yeah I was One thing say the same, I, Jono. There's uh, a lot of mouths to feed that are in camp that are helping out. How many? How many guys yeah, do you have with you? Families, trackers, well. yeah. and yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, oh, wow. Um, ten, ten or twelve, plus the family. Quite amazing, isn't it? Mm. To think it's a that you know you show up yeah, on yeah. a plane and there's a whole community of people around you, the customer, to In make sure company, you have the yeah. best experience. It sounds. Well, I think. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we were there, it was just us. There was three skinners working in the skinning shed, preparing everything. We had uh, two chefs. We had ground staff. Uh, yeah, it, it would have been ten or twelve, I reckon. Yeah, That's what I was going to ask you. Was there other hunters there when you were there, or was was it? Do you kind of book it out, or do, is it? You know, no, there is was. There, um, do, do, is there other groups? There was a young couple. Um, there was a young couple from the US. That were they were just finishing up, and then as we were leaving, there was another group, a group of six getting there for an open safari. But often they run. Oh, okay. They can run up to about six hunters through at any one time. They got about yeah. four, got four hunting so, vehicles. Um, so they could be going at any one time. Yeah. So they could I'm be reading. quite a you know quite a lively yeah. evening yeah. around the around the bar type thing. I think the table we were we ate at sits about. Ten or twelve, yeah. So it's, it's a big, it's a good setup, yeah. Yeah, very, very good yeah. setup. I notice um, a lot of the photos that you put up, especially with the skinners, um, the animals are whole still. Yeah. Um, so you're obviously out there hunting. That you're not, you're not gutting them out there. They're they're all coming back. It's a yeah, fair so carry for a, so... a wildebeest or something like that. What's the what's so the all process? Those, all those skinning shed photos were taken by my wife. And that's one of the beauty of my wife did hunt years ago, but when we had kids, she sort of stopped hunting and became a mum. But um, but one of the things about having Fran along, she loves taking camera like, photography, and she was taking photos of things that I would never have thought of. You know, I walk past tracks in the sand, Fran's taking photos of them. You know, I look at the eyeballs of an animal, she's taking photos of them. You know, the sunlight coming through the mane on a zebra, she's taking photos of it. Skinny shed. I'm happy to sit in the skinny shed and talk to the boys. She's taking photos of the, the process. Um, so I think the furthest we were away from the lodge, Ian, was about 45 minutes uh, across the river and yeah. northeast towards Zimbabwe. Um, it was still fairly hot during the day. Like when we were sitting in the blinds, the hot was the heat was pretty stifling. So they winched the animals onto the back of the cruiser and they run straight back to the um, mm. skinny shed. And they process it. It all goes into the salt immediately, um, and it's just yeah, looking after your trophies. And then they'll they'll head back out to another, a closer uh, property, for the afternoon hunt, chasing a different species. You know. Yeah. Okay. So they're winching them on, getting them back, doing it all in a yeah, hurry just to preserve it all. And, yeah. Uh, yep. And then just go from there. Yeah, I mean, these properties are they set up for hunting. So they have proper skinning sheds. They've got slaughter facilities. They've got cold rooms. They've got they, they're geared up for this sort of thing. It's not like here where you have to get a butcher up in the bush and chuck it in esky. They are geared up for it. Yeah, just... I was surprised to see a photo of an ungutted animal um, hanging up, being you know caped out for a shoulder mount. Um, wasn't quite what I expected to see. So... The thing too is. Um... 
they're, they're very when they actually process the animal, they're they're allowing a lot more skin than what we would normally use here. Um, they're taking it right yeah. back to the to the haunches, so they don't want. They'd rather have extra skin than than not by the time it gets to taxidermist. No, yeah, yeah, and that, they do a really good job. And the only animal we gutted um, in the field was the warthog, because it was so hot. Um, they were worried worried about the warthog going off, and we were still hunting zebra mm. that afternoon as well. So it was, it was a long day, you know. Yeah. So I've just gone back inside to plug my computer in. Yeah, no, it's working fine, out, mate. I hate to run out of battery. Taking us to the trophy room. <laughs> That's right. All right. <laughs> so you said you'd take next time you take a fly rod. What else would you? What else? What would you? What did you take that you? You know. Or, sorry. What did you take that you probably shouldn't have t- took? And what did you not take that you should probably take? Well, I have a pack. I have a pack block. Um, the recommendation is to have three changes of clothes, right? Um, well, that's the other thing, Ian, uh, Mark and Johnny, they actually do your washing. So every evening they'll do the day's washing and it's back on your bed the next day. So when they say you only need three sets of clothes, you only need three sets of clothes. You don't take six or seven sets like I did. Um, uh, I, I would definitely take a fly rod. I, I didn't expect there to be a fishing opportunity. And when we went past this waterhole, um, yeah, the catfish were 10 kilos. Yeah, and and I just you know I love my fly fishing, and I'm just thinking throwing a three eight deceiver into that would have been just awesome, you know. It would have been real up close and personal, white knuckle stuff. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. the nine weight mm-hmm. will go next time. Um, what else? Yeah, I mean they really the stuff you think you have to have here, you don't worry. They just look after. They've got everything covered. So apart from your personal stuff. Maybe a favourite skidding knife just to have it with you. Um, yeah, just you could really cut it right back. I took my Leatherman tool, which I take everywhere. It was it's worth its weight in gold. Um, but yeah, my advice would be just to follow the recommendations by the outfitter, and just because they 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 do it all the time and they've got it down to a pat, you know. Mm. Um, Hunting conditions. You said that. Um... It was pretty stifling in the blinds. What temperatures were you hunting in? And and uh, what other uncomfortable things were happening over there? Were you smashed by mosquitoes or flies? Or like no. what was the, the, the general day-to-day? No, I think there was only... So our bedroom setup had the full mosquito netting around the bed. Um, there's no malaria in Limpopo. So despite what your doctor's going to tell you about taking malaria pills and rabies, don't worry about it. Um, didn't need to worry about it. Um, you do need to be careful of ticks. There's various species of ticks. Um, and you can get what they call tick fever. So if you're bitten by a tick, mm-hmm. um, you'll get the temperatures, the like a severe flu virus type system uh, um, symptoms. That tends to pass in about a week. Okay. Um, really and they'll bite you when you're sort of sitting in a blind you know, waiting for stuff to happen, they'll call up your leg, give you a bite. But we had no problems with that. We had no problems with um, mosquitoes. We were there in what they call winter. So the mornings were cold. 
I think the days got to sort of in one of the couple of days there got to the mid thirties, I guess, low thirties. But it was a dry heat, and I, I felt it. Um, snakes were still prevalent. Um, we come across three death adders. Um, mm-hmm. Just after I missed my warthog, my wife's sitting in the back of the truck, and I've just come around the back of the truck to get into the truck. And she said, oh, look, a snake. And I'm, it's just here, you know, three foot away from me, getting under the car. And it was only about 12 inches long, but it turns out it's one of the adder species, and it's quite deadly. Um the snakes up there, uh, spitting cobra, puff adders, and black mamba. Uh, the cobra and the mamba are most active during uh, the height of summer, you know. Um, oh, okay. About September onwards. So, yeah. So, you just got to be vigilant. When obviously you know it's it's better to hunt in obviously well from comfort point of view hunting in winter is is more comfortable. What about the um, and you spoke about one of the animals was in rut. So I mean you know obviously we like to hunt at opportune times of the year based on the animal behaviour. So yeah. does that is that factored into it? Or is there so is there a better time to go or is it better just to play it? You know that the fact that the animals are going to be there. So it's more about you picking your, your better time of year to go rather yeah. than than trying to cycle in with animal behaviour. Typically, the hunting season starts around end of April and goes through the winter months, which is your your um, dry season. The mm-hmm. early in that season, though, you got maximum vegetation. Okay, so it can't be hard to see the animals. Uh, towards the end of the season, the vegetation's dropped off the trees a little bit because of lack of moisture. Um, and then it all starts again. But the the water buck, I've seen a lot of water buck too. They're an impressive animal. They were running. Um, the impala were running. Um, kudu and the larger species, they were going to come on towards the end of the season, sort of August, September, I think, for memory. So there just seems to be, of course, the diversity of game is such that there's something going on all the time, you know. Um, so, but no, yep. generally... Winter time's a hunting season because it's just more pleasant to be out in the bush. It's not, you know, you don't have the issues with the rain. And towards the middle to the end of the season, the 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 visibility is a lot better. Yeah. Okay. So, um, with uh, jumping around a little bit with the um the rifle. So the rifle was supplied by them, and so that's part of the package as well. Yep. So you can elect to what they call hire a rifle, and I just hired a rifle. Mm. Um, I did get the opportunity to shoot a, um, a Fabric National uh, 375 Holland Holland. I, I love the Fabric National, the old Belgian Brownings. And mm. This firearm was in immaculate condition and a classic African firearm in a classic African calibre. And yeah. I've always been a big 308, 338 fan, you know, and I've come away, the 308's getting upgraded to a 306. And three three eight getting upgraded to a three seven five. I found both calibers incredibly pleasant to shoot. Given, yeah, you know, one was pushing a hundred eighty grain pill, and one was pushing a three hundred grain pill. They were just incredibly pleasant to shoot. And um, yeah, I know there's not much in that between a thirty eight six and a three oh eight, but what I've seen it do pushing a one eighty grain pill on those big animals is just insane. It's insane. Mm. And I just, yeah, but, um, but yeah, it was a bit of a buzz shooting the Alfabric National. I've, I've owned them before, but I've never shot them before. 
And this is just a beautiful. So that's beautiful what. Game. So that's what you call a commercial Mauser action. That's oh, the one they usually. That's what they usually. Is that the one they usually? You know, it's called a commercial Mauser action. That one that. Yeah, ninety eight commercial Mauser actions. Yeah, but they yeah. come out of the, the Fabric National <laughs> Factory in Belgium, and for many years they were yeah. referred to as uh, Belgian Brownings, because uh, that that factory did a lot of the um, the Belgian made Browning over and unders at the time. So, uh, but just a just a lovely classic Mauser action, you know. Yeah. Yep. And what I liked, control feed. It was beautiful, you know. So. So it, 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 the, the old saying that every man needs a safari gun is proven correct. Uh-huh. You're going to get yourself a three seven five. Yes. Um, yeah, it, it, I shot um, just before, prior to going over. I shot a three seven five Ruger, and yep, I found that considerably uncomfortable in comparison to the Apollo. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I think it comes back to the shape of the cartridge and. The pressure. I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to do some more research on it, but it was considerably more felt recall than the three seven five. Hold on, hold on. In my opinion, oh, wow. so and I shot so, that three seven. I shot that out of a blind, going, basically just resting across a piece of bamboo with minimum fingers on the forend, you know, um, and quite comfortable to shoot, you know, so. Because that 375 Ruger, Ruger is based on a 3006, isn't it? It's similar, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it's still up, up for mm, it. Yeah. Yeah. So, might be, yeah. Mm. so the 375 Holland Holland is the minimum caliber for dangerous game in Africa. Mm. So that's why it's your safari gun. That's why all the PHs have got them. The, uh, we shot, um, mm. I shot an Impala and a Blesbach on the same day. The Impala. They're, they're very hard to judge, this, the, the trophy quality, the size of the animal. Like they're about the size of a small fallow buck, I guess. And um, a good trophy is anywhere from 22 to 24 inches. Um, but it's not too good on the ground. You actually appreciate the, the, the antlers or the horns. Uh, they're quite an impressive animal. But as the day gets hotter, they're just backwards and forwards to the water holes. So they're quite predictable. And... Likewise, the blesbok, as the day got hotter, they'd seek out the shade of a tree. And during the morning and the evenings, they'd be running from a vehicle. You could stalk from shady spot to shady spot and hunt the blesbok. They just didn't like moving around in the heat, you know. Um, but every animal had its own different characteristics and made them all very special in the way they hunted. So yeah, it was quite quite good, quite eye-opening. Parts of it were humbling, but all in all, it was just... An awesome adventure, you know. Sounds incredible. Uh, hmm. When are you going back? Twenty twenty-five. There you go. Yeah. Well, same time of year. Yeah. So, but then we'll probably up to the. Uh, you fessed up to the other half the cost of the trip yet? Sorry. Twenty twenty-five still. Like, I said, have you fessed up to the other half the, the cost of the trip yet? It's it's good no, to be rebooked already. She was pretty much. She was pretty much right beside me through the whole planning thing. And <laughs> um, right. when she asked me about how much a taxidermy cost, it, it, it turns out it's about um, 8900 Australian to do the taxidermy, which if you just work it out on the animals, it's $1,200 an animal. 
Yeah, I was going to say, it's, you know, 1000 to 1500 bucks an animal or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but yeah, and that's... But uh, she actually thought that was cheap, so cheering. But... um, She's a good woman. <laughs> I was going to say, does the truck have those little, um, little, uh, you know, those little squares on it, they call them the white things, where you, they just, you just kind of go, oh, there's one. Click, blip, blip, blip. Oh, no. we're... we're, we're um... Well, we're talking about the price of uh, the animals. Are uh, you happy to share any more details about dollars? About dollars. Um, so I originally booked a – the beauty of Cruiser was working with Craig, they they did the initial quote in Australian dollars, okay? Um, so the initial package was – I think it was three animals over seven days. That was all-inclusive, and it was about 6,500 Australian Okay. Hmm. Now, if you compared that to say a chittle hunt in North Queensland, you're looking at about forty five hundred for a chittle these days. Okay. Yeah, you got to get there. Um, so, cost and depending on who you go with, you know, it's it's cost wise, it's quite doable. Okay. The big thing for Australians traveling there is airfares. Um, yeah. We flew direct. You're looking at around twenty four hundred dollars. You know, um, you can get it down to about nineteen hundred if you fly with Singapore Airlines or Emirates, but you've got to go through Singapore or you've got to go through Dubai, and that makes for a very Dubai, very long yeah. trip. You know, so airfares are a big thing. Um, that's one thing we're going to look at. Uh, yeah, pretty soon we're just going to see what the best way of getting that down because if you can get that down, you're laughing. But yeah, basically mm. can't. For a novice going to Africa for the first time, a basic hunt, and that was, I say basic hunt, but that basic hunt allowed for a kudu, an impala and a warthog, I think it was, off the top of my head. Um, a kudu is a very, very special trophy, and that was 6,500, yeah, all meals, accommodation, transfers, uh, drink, um, caping, and trophy preparation. Okay. Taxidermy costs on top and, of course, travel, okay? And freight uh, And then yeah. in my case, I added I added a couple of extra animals and then I shot a couple of extra while I was there. So, you know, just yeah, couldn't well, help myself. You know what? I'll probably do it again. That's a whole lot more reasonable than I thought. That's why yeah. I wanted to ask because you can think about things. I mean, it and, is. It, you know, it, the first it thing is. that comes to mind is 20, 25 grand, something like that. Um Maybe you're getting close to that by the time you've upped your trophy volumes well, and got them all taxidermied and sent home. But yeah, look, we um, to be honest, we probably got to that figure around nineteen or twenty grand. Um, you got seven day hunt. We had nine days in Cape Town. There's two of us flying. Yeah, there was three days in Johannesburg. We went cage diving. We went to the Cape of Good Hope. We did all this as tourists would. You know, yeah, yeah. and that yeah. includes the taxidermy, and that includes getting the stuff back here. Now, each of their own. My next trip, I'd probably bring back, um, bring them back as euro mounts, which allows me to sort of fit them into the trophy room. Uh, that is, that's less than a third of the cost of normal taxidermy. You know what I mean? It's zero mount. Only six months. So euro, 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 euro mount. Euro, yeah. Yeah. You got those options. You know what I mean? You can. You can tailor it right down to the last nitty gritty. You can fly in and fly straight out mm. after your hunt. You know, um, mm. 
you can get them dipped and packed and not doing the taxidermy there. They send them here, do your taxidermy. So then you got the luxury of, I'll get this done, I'll Fine. get that done. Yeah. Trip feed your taxidermist and just get them done when you can afford it. There's lots of options. What do they do with a what do they do with a hide that gets sent back taxidermy? Surely they're not they're not tanning it. They've got to send it back in a certain way so that it can be used. No, it's tan. Yeah, it's so it's fully it's fully it does tanned. get tanned, does it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well you you've got the choice of the the options are all yours. So um in the skinny shed they'll they get it all they got it all prepared to go to the taxidermist. And then you just decide then whether you're going to get the whole taxidermy process done or you're going to get, you have the option to get flat skins done, tanned, mm -hmm. and your euro mounts. Yeah. You also have an option of just getting them dipped, what they call dipped and packed. That yeah. is the minimum they can do to allow shipping into Australia. Yeah. Okay. Mm. That'll pass all your customs requirements here. Um, the other cost at our end here would be your freight forwarder. The, I, I'm going through High World Taxidermy in Johannesburg. They actually own a freight forwarding company there, Oxy Logistics. So they look after your trophies from where to go. Yeah. And they yeah. work with a company in Australia called Rayet International, which is your freight forwarders here. And I've already spoken to those girls. They're brilliant. They do a lot of trophy imports, and they look after it once it gets here in Australia. Um. It's just a really good oiled operation, you know? Yeah. And I was I was able to do a tour of high-world taxidermy were there, and, man, it is just something else. Um, there's one room, right? Full mounts of elephants. and Mark, full of Cape Buffalo, all, all in various stages of drawing. I mean, these things have got horn bosses on them the size of your head, you know? And these things are <laughs> immense, immense animals. Um, and within Highville Taxidermy, they've got the carpentry and joinery section where they're making your, your Zulu, um, uh, your Zulu shields and your Zulu, oh, wow. your Zulu, um, spears because a lot of people opt for a, a Senge, a Senge, when they put three or four animals on a Zulu, a Zulu shield, they do a three dimensional mount of a zebra which is the head tucked in so it's got a side profile back onto the skin, which is in the shape of the African continent. Wow. Mm. Mm. I've seen and that, yeah, seen those. Mm. Um, and, and Sam was telling me that high-world taxidermy are amongst the top five taxidermists in the world now. And mm. I think it comes back to their innovation. Some of the stuff was good. A lady by the name of Lisa took me through the factory. She had a list of the animals we'd, we'd taken. And that list was prepared by uh, Cruiser Safaris because you had to get all your, your export permits and that sorted. So Lisa's got this list and she's walking, okay, let's go look at the wildebeest room. Okay, Mr. Golding, the popular mount for a wildebeest is this, 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 and this. I recommend you do this. Oh, yeah, that sounds good, Lisa. Let's go to the zebra <laughs> room. Now, Mr. Golding, zebra look better because they just look like a horse if you do it like this. And if you do it like that, it improves the features of the zoo. And I thought, yeah, this is unreal. You take take all the guesswork out of it. It's great. Um, and since I've been back, I've had, I think, four emails from Lisa. Uh, all the gear's been picked up. We've got the quote for the taxidermy. And now there's about a 10-month turnaround plus 21 days shipping, which I think is awesome service, yeah. you know.
But um, hmm. yeah, it was it was just way to go. It was just a really really professionally run operation, you know. And I got no. Hmm. As I said, I'm going back to 2025. I see no reason to go anywhere else. Um, the list of game animals they got is quite extensive. Um, they have access to a concession where I can hunt bush pigs with dogs, so that could be on the cards. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Yeah, Golden Wildebeest, Red Heart Beast, Gemsbach, Eland. They'll all be on the list next time. It's just, uh, it's just great, you know. Fantastic. And then the third trip's going to be after Cape Buffalo. So <laughs> just got to. I've got to work, you got up to work your way up to it, you reckon? Yeah, I've got to work up to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm about out of questions. I mean, I, I think, is there anything you want to wrap up, Craig? I mean, uh, or John or Andy, is there anything you want to? No, I think I think from my perspective, that's been a, re- a really good tale of how to do it for the first yeah. time and yeah. the people you used and the experience you had and the cost. I'm glad, and thank you for sharing the cost. A lot of people wouldn't do that. You know. Um... Uh, but it gives people a real sense for what's possible, you know. That's the yeah, look, I mean, not I quite guess average the... Joe Safari, Mark, but it's 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 well, uh, it's not far off. Yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. You know, like my wife, I, I always knew Africa was going to be there somewhere. We, we would go to Africa at some point, you know. Um, it came earlier than what we expected. I'm glad it did because now I've got, I don't know how many years ahead of me where I'm going to be able to go again. And I've got a really good mate who's about our age, probably a bit older than you, Jono, but, you know, his philosophy in life is you don't know what's around the corner, so just go and do it. Now, mm, oh, for sure. could, you could think of that as a, you don't know what's around the corner with your health. We don't know what's around the corner with our gun laws and what we can or can't bring back into the country. Look at the UK. You know, um, uh, I just think do it. But my wife made a point, an interesting point, and she she was right. She's always bloody right. She said to me, you've been preparing for this trip for a long, long time. And I said, what do you mean? She says, well, ever since I've known you, you've read books on Africa. I've got volumes on Africa, you know, books that, worth hundreds and hundreds of dollars. You know, Jacques Vettier, Hunting in Asia, Africa and elsewhere. James Mellon's African Hunter, Boddington, uh, Ruach. All that. And she was right. We've, we've read, I've read so much about that. And this is where I think for me, and I, I said sitting in the bush at sunset in Africa with that kudu, it's everything you dream about. It's everything you read about. Um, mm. and, and it really was. What, um, Craig? I do have one question. What surprised you? What? What? I don't want to say what didn't live up to expectations. I don't want to leave it on a negative. But um, like you've, you've you've clearly said it was an amazing trip, and you're going back, and you wouldn't do it differently. But what was what what wasn't what you thought? Not negative, but just was there anything that you thought? Oh, didn't expect that, or um, not in a detrimental way. Okay, yeah, that's um, what I was hoping. Not, yeah. in a, not in a detrimental way. Um, what struck me was the similarities between just hunting in general and hunting in Australia. Um, I mentioned it was like, you know, in some aspects of it, uh, you're driving down a, a dirt road on your favourite property in Nundal, you spot a mob of goats and the stalk's on. You know, it was the same as it was kudu. Everything is similar but not. But then it's, on, it's the same but on steroids, if you know what I mean. Yeah. 
And then there were some aspects of it that were just Africa. You know, it was a 160-metre shot on a kudu that I thought, or two shots I took. One was a zebra, and it was only close. But I thought, shit, I rushed that. Or, shit, I shouldn't have taken the shot at the kudu. Um, that's pressure you put on yourself. You go a long way, you spend a lot of money. You're hunting with professionals. Um, you know, um, it's a small industry. People know you. Words, you, know, you, you don't want to stuff up. So you put pressure on yourself. So there's that. But the similarities, it's, it's hunting, it's not shooting. 160-metre um, shot on a kudu, 22-metre shot on a wildebeest. That's hunting. You know, so mm. there's a lot of similarities. Um, nothing detrimental, Ian. I just, I just think it, it ticked all the boxes. Um, mm. Yeah, no, I, I just think it's it's different, but it's the That's same. Right. That's in a good respect. answer. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's interesting that you said what you said there about the similarities because that's what Peter Ryan was talking about. Yeah, okay, yeah. You know, mm. Wherever he went, it was, you know, across the Southern Hemisphere, it felt oddly different but oddly the same. And the other thing he said was that this idea of, you know, when we said, how would you get there? And he said, well, I, you know, basically he was practising to get there before and when he got there it wasn't such a – it wasn't such – it was different, but it wasn't such a, you know, different thing, as you see. Yeah. You know, it was still – you had to make shots at distance. You had to make shots up close, just different yeah. game. But you were, you, were, you were drawing on your own experiences. You know, yeah. Very interesting. I, I sort of – sort of you could, you could call this a sort of badge of honour, and it was something that I was really proud of in that I think the third animal in – and I shot eight animals, the third animal in – my professional hunter, his name so was How many was on your card again? Did, didn't you say there was three three animals on your card when you started? Yeah. Yeah. So I was a, I was a third animal in. Well, no. Yeah, I was a third animal <laughs> in. And, um, we become quite friendly with our professional hunter. His name's Edward. Uh, as he's a native African. Um, um, Swana background. He, he's, 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 um, he's, um, his ancestors come across from Botswana, and there's a lot of history there. So, but he turned to me after I shot, um, might have been the Blesbok or the Impala. I don't know. It was a third animal anyway, maybe the Impala. And he just looked at me and says, "You make my job easy." And and what he was saying, and and I took that as a honestly, might sound corny, John. You know, uh, but this is a professional hunter, and he said to me afterwards, he said, "Craig," he says. Most people don't want to get off the back of the truck. I said, "What? So you just, you know, you're just dealing with Yanks and and um, yeah, majority no. Yanks." And I said, "Really? No, I, I can't fathom that. You know, that's that's not hunting mm. to me." He turned to me and said, "You make my in his African tongue, you make my job easy." I went tell my wife that. You know, it's just it's just magical. <laughs> it's a professional hunter told me I made his job freaking easy, and I I I, I stopped worrying. I stopped worrying after that, you know. And then mm. the, the last, the last hunt. Well, it wasn't the last hunt. I hadn't finished hunting, and it was in Peter Lamprey, the owner of the of the, the group, uh, the owner of the business. He said, "We were up there fixing up the account one night." He says, "I want to have a look at my guns," and he pulled out all these blazers, and they pulled out this fabric national. And I said, "Mate, I absolutely love these firearms. Oh, you want to use it? We need to cull some warthogs. Going to go shoot me a couple. Oh, yeah, right, huh?" So they left me up in the bush in a blind by myself, a handful of 375 cartridges, 
Fabric National, sitting on an esky full of drink, and I'm just, oh, yeah. Mm. Did you have to sneak out the back? Mm-hmm. Is your wife chasing you down the track because you've already <laughs> shot eight? Like, let's let's get imagine what she was thinking. Oh, fuck, here we go again. And she said, oh, that, that night she says, no. And then Peter's eating her on. Peter said, no, no, that's no, all right, friend. We've got payment plans. We've got payment plans. So I'm sitting in this, this bow hunter's blind. <laughs> I'm looking at one side of the blind with my iPhone. I'm taking a video of an impala at eight feet. Mm-hmm. Two impala used drinking eight feet away. And I'm I've just seen the photo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's an impala ran bigger than what I shot, and I'm thinking, far out, should I, shouldn't I? And he's drinking fifteen feet away, right? And I'm engrossed in this and then I turn around, look out the front window, and there's warthog bigger than what I shot, right? They weren't cold warthogs. I've gone back to the impala. Turn back and there's this warthog with a broken tusk and a, and a broken um, bottom grinder or whatever you want to call it. Oh, oh there, that, that's it. So load the gun and shoot it. And I'm thinking, again, you know, far out. I'm in the middle of the African bush culling warthog. You know, just as insane. But I think, you know, what, what I do know, and this is, this is a big credit to Aussie hunters overseas, they love Aussies in camp. Because there's mm. no bullshit, there's no airs and graces. Um, they'll as it'll crawl through the thorn bush. They'll sit in blinds. There's no bitching and moaning like a lot of other hunting hunters, you know. Uh, and they really want to expand the amount of um, got a ghost open the door. They want to really ex- increase the number of Aussies they get travelling over there. Because we're just cruising, easy going, you know. And that that's a really big a really big compliment to Australian hunters, I think, that travel overseas to hunt. You know. All right, boys. I think that's a pretty good place to wrap it up. Yep. Mm. Well from my side, Craig, as as a South African, I'm glad you had an awesome trip. I'm glad you got to experience what I grew up hunting. Probably oh, I slightly didn't, I different didn't know that, John. Yeah, but I'm glad you, you enjoyed it. Oh, shit up. I'm glad. Well, yeah. you know what we're talking about, mate. That's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I know. That's why I have no questions because I've experienced it. I've shot, I haven't shot a steenbuck, but I've shot kudu, eland, impala, blessbuck, springbuck, wildebeest, zebra. Yeah. You name it, I've shot it. Well, so. it's, it's funny. Yeah. The steenbuck was the last minute add on, and they're just, they're not expensive yeah. to shoot. They are everywhere. And the other thing I noticed too, yeah. which I'll, I'll target next time, is the um, I think it's the grey diker. A little bit, diker, big, little yeah. bit bigger than a sniper. Yeah. Didn't serve me. A little, bit, bigger, a little yeah. bit rarer. It should be shorter horns, but thicker. Shorter, shorter horns are thicker. Yeah, thicker, thicker at the base. Right. Didn't yeah. see as many, but yeah. again, these, these two little antelope, they tended to gravitate towards the tracks, the open ground of an evening or an afternoon. Mm. And I thought to myself that the Steinbuck would be just Walking the fringe country with a twenty-two Hornet would have been just awesome hunting. You know what I mean? Expensive, yeah, but awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, awesome. I'm glad you got to experience it. I think everyone needs to experience a hunt in yeah. Africa. Cool. Um, if okay. anybody, if anybody wants a reference on cruise safaris, any of you, any of your listeners, tell them to hit me up. Eh? I'm more yeah. than happy to put them in touch with Craig. Yeah, cool. Um, and the guys at Cruiser, more than happy to help. All right. Cool. Amazing. Awesome. 
Cool. Well, thanks, Craig. We really appreciate that. No worries at Thanks, all. buddy. Yeah. And it sounds like you had a, you know, a life-changing experience. You're going back yeah, twice. That's, that's probably a, I like a that good way. Twice. Yeah. I, I like they're not going back. I'm going back twice. I really like that. Yeah, no, well, I've got your list. Three times, maybe. So it's a big country. So, well, maybe after that, yeah. Yeah, well, guess, <laughs> guess who's not retiring anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, you're spot on. Yeah, you're spot on. Back to real work, you know. That's yeah, it. Back to real work. All right. All right, buddy, thank you again for joining again, us for a, for a second time. It's been, been awesome. Cool. Thanks, mate. Yeah, take care. Right, go, buddy. Mate.